Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest right now is Werner Van Royen, head of marketing at Luno, L-U-N-O. Werner, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for the call. Yeah, yeah no problem. So um, tell us, what does Luno do? Sure thing. So uh, Luno is uh, a Bitcoin platform. Um, I can maybe say like what the short term and the long term uh, aim of Luno is, but at least right now, uh, Luno is a Bitcoin platform. And we are currently active uh, in a bunch of different markets. Uh, we originally started in Singapore and South Africa, um, and then after that expanded to Nigeria, Malaysia, and Indonesia. And as of Tuesday, um, we're active throughout Europe. So um, all in all, about 40 countries. And then what we, our, our core business is allowing people to, to convert between the real physical world of finance today and this future of finance and digital currencies. So we enable the conversion between local currencies and Bitcoin. And then once somebody is in this new financial system of Bitcoin, we allow them to store and transfer and, and use. And again, you know, whenever they need to convert it back to a local currency, we facilitate the, those services. Are you acting essentially as, a, um, as an on-ramp for people to uh, go from fiat to crypto or is it? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. So it's, it's pretty much that point it's between between local currencies, between fiat currencies and, and digital currencies. Um, we find that that's often the point of most interest for a lot of people, but it's also the point of a lot of friction and confusion. So I think um, if you if you rewind the clock a little bit, like a lot of people who got interested in, in Bitcoin, let's say uh, circa 2012, 2013, thereabouts, when, when a lot of Bitcoin platforms were founded, um, it was a it was largely a technical audience that uh, that were looking for Bitcoin services at that time. So you'll have uh, the, the, those types of platforms tend to be um, largely technical and they largely focus on a, on a trader market. Um, whereas that that's a little bit of where our origins lie because we were also uh, founded in 2013 and also catered to that that um, early adopter audience. But uh, we've evolved uh, to the point where we actually only focused on creating very, very simple products. So a very simple uh, mechanism of saying, like, I have this much, and let's say, M Malaysian ringgit or, or euros or, or Nigerian naira. 
um, and I want to just convert that instantly uh, into Bitcoin without the need of knowing how, let's say, market liquidity and, and order books and candle charts and things like that work. So we're aiming to make a very simple product and also a very mobile product, which I think a lot of um, earlier platforms, that's maybe not their, 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 their core focus, but it's definitely, it's definitely the, where we are right now and, and what we're aggressively pursuing. What kind of users are you getting on your platform? Is this, um, they're probably not, uh, I guess, technophiles. They're probably people that heard about Bitcoin and just want to get involved or is it different? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it very much depends on the market. So um, the, the origins of, of our company is very much in emerging markets. Um, I think that Bitcoin holds a lot of potential in the short term, let's say even for established markets. But um, I think in the long run, the benefit of, of digital currencies, I think that it might have a bigger impact um, over time in, in emerging markets. So that, those are the markets that we started out in. And the consumer in those markets is, is maybe a little bit different from, let's say, uh, the early adopter consumers that you might find um, elsewhere, let's say, let's say in the US or, or even in Europe. So, I mean, to look at the consumer, you kind of need to look at what they want to do with Bitcoin, like what is their what is their purpose? Like what what pain point does it solve? Um, and I mean, Bitcoin Bitcoin does basically it does three things well. It's a it's a great way of decentralizing finance. So if you don't want a central entity to to control your money, there's there's an element of that I'd say in our markets, maybe not that much. The second the second use case is uh, using it as a means of payment. Um, and the only reason why people would use Bitcoin today as a means of payment is really because they have no other option. Um, the existing financial system for payments, at least, is um, and, and in the rich world in particular, is very established. I mean, it's a, it's a painless experience for me, even here in South Africa, if I need to go to the supermarket and pay for, for groceries. Uh, I just take out my credit card and, you know, the transaction is done in, in five seconds. That said, in some of the emerging markets, um, it's not always possible for people to use their credit cards when they have access to it. Uh, a lot of people, for instance, in Nigeria, one of our key markets, they they can't use their credit cards basically anywhere else in the world. So if they want to purchase from the U.S., um, their cards automatically get declined because of high fraud rates. So Bitcoin is often the only way for them to pay. So I'd say the second step up of why people would use it is they don't have another way of paying, but for the most part, I think um, our consumers use Bitcoin um, or, or, or buy Bitcoin. It's pretty much the same reason what you see elsewhere in the world, and that's this, this, you know, this hedge uh, against, let's say, currency depreciation, or hopefully for that, you know, buying into an alternative asset that um, that might be worth more in the future. I think um, I think a lot of a lot of people, again, in emerging markets, they've been feeling the crunch a lot in the last five years. Um, a lot of our markets have lost more than more than 50% and even more of their of their currency value um, against the U.S. dollar and against the euro um, in the past few years. Whereas Bitcoin against the U.S. dollar and uh, and the euro has done has done pretty well. So um, I think initially our, our earlier customers they were also you know the techie early adopter they would integrate an API with their trading bot that type of customer. But the vast majority of customers today, um, I would say, are, are retail, regular consumers who either have an interest in, in 
allocating a small percentage of their, their portfolio, their investment portfolio into Bitcoin, um, be it because in the hope of that it will grow, or maybe in the hope that at least they will just protect against devaluation, um, currency devaluation. Are you seeing anyone use the platform to get out of their home country's currency and get into another one in the gateway, or do they tend to stay in Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a really good question. Um, all of our initial markets, um, and these are, are, are again the Indonesia, Malaysia, South Africa, Nigeria. All of those markets actually have um, capital control. So it means those governments uh, and, and central banks actually restrict the amount of capital of, of local currency that uh, individuals from those countries are legally allowed to take out of the country. Um, and it's very much this, the same in, in China. It's not a market that we're active in, but um, some people speculate that it's a big use case for Bitcoin in those markets. So our data shows that people don't really use it to move money out of countries. Um, it's something that we that we obligated to monitor for uh, and to see if people are actually trying to circumvent uh, capital controls. So the data doesn't show that they that they're doing it because I think there's existing rails in most of the countries and um, most of the countries have have been opening up and increasing their their, their foreign capital allocation as they call it that people can buy. So primarily what we see is is actually buy and hold. People would buy cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, the vast majority, because I mean it's still the it's still the the digital currency with a with a widest brand recognition. So people would mostly buy Bitcoin, and then up until the time when they feel, oh wow, okay, I might want to sell this because um, it might just be worse at that time than it was in the past. Some people some people buy other cryptocurrencies. We've seen quite a bit. Especially uh, in Malaysia, we've seen quite a, a bit of conversion or, or movement from from our platform onto onto other platforms to buy uh, Ether in particular. Um, and I think a lot of that was was due to the recent run up that we saw in the past few months um, of of ICOs and people just just buying buying into various investments. You know, some of them obviously great, and some of them probably some some of them probably not so great. But at least what the data shows is uh, m- most people are still sticking to Bitcoin. Are you going to try to expand to every country in the world, or are there a certain er- you know is there a certain path of expansion you guys are on right now? Desperately need what you're doing, or ones that uh, you need to stay away from? There's, there's, um, I, I think, I mean, we're pretty much on target of of where our expansion plans, you know, were, were drawn up, and they get revised from time to time as as you get more. Uh, government and regulatory certainty or uncertainty in certain markets, you know, that very much drives your expansion plan. So we're definitely not not interested in, in being in every country in the world. I think that adage of like, you know, if everybody's your customer, then ultimately nobody is. And I think that holds true for international, um, you know, geographical uh, distribution too. So right now, um, I think what, what, at least what happened up until this point, let's say the pre-European expansion, was there was very strong demand for our products um, in our markets. And uh, we greatly refined and, and improved and simplified our products in those markets. Um, and in all those markets, we're pretty much uh, the, the leader, at least in terms of you know, trading volumes and, and, and wallet downloads. Um, with the exception of Indonesia, we, we, we might play second fiddle 
but um, the expansion is the focus is very much right now on Europe. So as I mentioned earlier on Tuesday, we announced um, our Series B fundraising round that was was closed recently, um, and the lead investors, Balderton Capital, which is I believe the largest VC uh, fund in Europe. So definitely the the next stretch is for us to cater and localize um, for that market and expand greatly in that market. Markets that we're not interested in are markets like uh, China and potentially Russia. I mean, these are just in the world of, of e-commerce and fintech. They're very much, they've, they've got a lot of potential, but also they tend to favor local uh, local players more than outside players. So uh, we're, not, we're not focused on those markets. We're also not focused on the U.S. Um, at this stage. It's just the, the, the players in, in the United States have really solid products, and, and I think it'll be more of a distraction. There's other places where we can, where we can make a bigger impact. Uh, there's, there's a few countries. We already incorporated in a few other countries in Asia um, and in Africa. Um, and we'll probably review those uh, once the next quarter has passed. Once we've once we've really get set out set our plan in action in Europe. What do people think of Bitcoin in Africa? Because I know in Kenya they use like phone credits, M-Pesa, and Africa has just always been a very I don't know. I mean, it's just it seems apart from everything else. What what kind of uh, insights do you have from Africa about it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's um, I think I think there's there's two, there's, or maybe there's multiple there's multiple versions of the of the Bitcoin story in Africa, um, and many of them are misleading. You will often see people stand on on you know startup events on stage, and they will say like how Bitcoin is going to connect Africa to global finance, um, which may be true. But it's often presented in a in a way that it's going to it, it's imminent that it's going to happen this year or next year, whereas the reality is that it holds huge potential, but it's going to take quite a while longer. So I think um, I think the, the 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 main theme that you'll hear about or initially about Bitcoin in Africa is the one about remittances that you know remittances is a multi billion dollar industry and there's a large flow of, of capital into Africa from rich countries and, and Bitcoin can you know, greatly reduce the cost of those transfers, which is only somewhat true or it's true in very limited use cases. Mostly, mostly the, the rails, the existing financial rails, I mean, as annoying as it is or to, to use them or, or to say so, um, like the, the, high, the high traffic and high volume corridors between rich countries um, and African countries it's a painless process if you use uh, regular remittance uh, mechanisms, and Bitcoin actually becomes quite ineffective if you if you have to send fine if you have to send let's say a hundred dollars from from the U.S. to a village uh, in the middle of Kenya, um, Bitcoin could be used to make that transfer happen. So, person in the U.S. can take their hundred dollars, convert it on a platform like. Coinbase or Gemini or, or, or whatever, converted into Bitcoin. Bitcoin gets sent off to the person in the village in the middle of Africa, but that person would need a reliable internet connection. But most important, they would need the ability to sell that Bitcoin for Kenyan shillings. So if there's not a, an exchange in that country running and an exchange at a, an appropriate, um, at a, with, with appropriate liquidity, um, and trading volumes and an exchange rate that's somewhat similar as what you would have expected if you used the banking system, 
Um, it won't work as a remittance system. So it's in very limited use cases it works, but it doesn't scale. So I, you know, that's that's one of the things that you hear that you'll hear in Africa. Um, but I think on a longer timeline, it might prove to be true that digital currencies, be it Bitcoin or, or, or Dash or, or you know something new, could hold um, could hold potential for for sending money. The other strong theme is again is just uh, hedging against depreciation. If you see how how currencies like the Naira or the South African Rand or the Zim dollar have taken a complete beating uh, against the US dollar or you know against any major global currency um the the hedging is a is a is a big theme so it's also there's many Africa is a big continent and uh, I think it's the mistake that journalists often make outside of Africa is the, this equation this thing of like Africa as a country Whereas the Bitcoin situation in places like South Africa would be years ahead of what it would be in, in a country like, um, you know, let's say Zambia or, or Zimbabwe. Um, and I think, I think mostly the story now of, of Bitcoin in Africa is, um, is preventing a lot, uh, preventing capital flight maybe as a concern of the regulators. And another concern of theirs is preventing scams. Luckily, these seem to have uh, have uh, disappeared a little bit, or you know, been been squashed out. But there was quite unfortunately a lot of um, scams that used Bitcoin um, as the as a you know just classic straight up Ponzi schemes that you see in the in the U.S., Asia, and Latin America and elsewhere. They just kind of migrated to Africa to and tried to exploit people. So unfortunately, we saw a little bit of a spike of that, but that's mostly disappeared. Um, but on the, I mean, I don't want to sound like all gloom and doom about, about Bitcoin in Africa. It's actually very exciting and very interesting because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of startups working in this space. And the great thing about it is it's, a, it's an open technology. Anybody can actually build something on it. So we've seen some, some really encouraging projects that just come out of nowhere where people will build integrations into, uh, into let's say buying buying uh, electricity, a lot of electricity in Africa works on a prepaid model. So you'll have a little meter in your house, and you have to go to a, a shop at the corner of the street or in the supermarket and give them a few bucks, and you buy some units of of kilowatt hours of energy for your for your house, and you enter a code, and you have more uh, electricity. So people building um, integrations where you can use Bitcoin to do that or buy airtime with it. Integrating it into into e-commerce stores, and um, in most countries, you will see this slow move where there are exchanges being founded um, that facilitate that conversion between the local currency and Bitcoin, which, on a longer timeline, will mean a lot. Um, but I think in Africa, outside of Nigeria, South Africa, and maybe a handful of East African markets, um, I think it's going to be a while before you start seeing the leapfrog effect that you saw um, in other industries. For instance, historically in Africa, nobody had, a, or I shouldn't say nobody, majority of people didn't have a landline phone or it was restricted to people living in large cities because of expensive infrastructure. Whereas with digital currencies, all that you really need is a smartphone and an internet connection. And both of those are getting cheaper and cheaper and, and widely, more widely distributed. So um, people went from not having a telephone and they jump to having a, a mobile phone with really high mobile penetration. I think what we might see is people not having a traditional bank account to suddenly having 
a bank account that is purely digital. Now, whether that operates on Bitcoin or another digital currency or some token or, you know, remains to be seen. But um, that, that's, that's very much the direction that things are heading in. Yeah, very interesting. I, I recently talked to um, the host of a show called Crypto Monedas, and we talked about how Bitcoin is being used in Latin America, and it's very different from how it's used in, uh, you know, a lot of first world countries. We talked about Venice and Argentina and how it's being used for basic necessities, you know, toilet paper and food and all that stuff. And so it makes me wonder about Africa. Um, even in the countries where it's being used right now, I know, for instance, South Africa is very different from Malawi, you know, or the other countries in Africa. What else are you seeing? Is it being used in a different way than you anticipated in the various countries that you operate in? Any insights there? Yeah, I mean, I I wish that <laughs> there was there was uh, you know the story of Venezuela in some some senses. I mean, not not because of the economic malaise, um, because I think that's greatly what fueled the use of cryptocurrencies because they have incredible hyperinflation. So people would be using something that is a bit more stable. My background is actually also in the is, is in the payments industry, and that's kind of what made me fall in love with Bitcoin. Is I just saw this this technology that could mean a much more efficient way of paying. If you think like how many times actually money change hands before it reaches the end destination, um, you know, when you make a, a payment to a business, uh, you know, Bitcoin just does away with a lot of the inefficiency. So um, I. I saw I saw a lot of potential. That's that's what made me like you know drink drink the Kool Aid. Um, and I saw a lot of potential also in, in Africa. The reality, however, is that people uh, is is not one where people use it actively. I think the uh, or use it actively as a payment mechanism at least. I think um, another big reason why that might be is I think a lot of people and I mean again I can't speak for the whole continent but at least a lot of a lot of the customers in our markets and when we when we survey them and you know get feedback from them on how they use the currency they they see it they see it very much like like an equity like a like a stock or a share in a, you know in a company or maybe in a technology and most people right now who have bought this share of, of, of equity see it as something that will be more useful and more valuable in the future than what it is today. So um, if you, for instance, um, had, let's say, Tesla shares, um, and let's for argument's sake say we, we lived in a world where you could go to the supermarket and, and make a payment with your Tesla shares, with just fractions thereof. Um, I don't think people would actually use those shares because in their mind, they're saying, well, I have these shares because I hope it will be worth more in the future. I believe in the, the vision of the company and, and what they're doing. And from, from, what we, you know, from what our data shows is that people see Bitcoin, our consumers see Bitcoin in a very similar way. They see it as something that's going to be worth more in the future. So I'd rather not shave off fractions of this equity and this technology that I have. I'd rather just wait. Um, and I would use it as a, you know, I would just off-ramp back into the traditional system um, and then use it that way. That's a really interesting point you brought up because I'm thinking about it, you know. So I would like, I thought, and I think I would like Bitcoin to be accepted everywhere. You know, I go to the coffee shop and do you guys take Bitcoin? Of course we do, you know, when I pay that way. But then again, if it is used that way, that's counter to my perception of it as a store of value, as something that, you know, like you said, a stock in a company 
um, a part of a movement where the price is going to keep going up and up. So it's kind of funny, the, the perception of a lot of people that hold and that just love Bitcoin and, and just think it's going to keep rallying. That's counter to what would work if you wanted to use it as an everyday currency. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a very tricky thing. And I mean, that, that's, that's one of the, I think, like what makes Bitcoin intellectually very a very stimulating industry is it's this new kind of financial experiment that's never really been done. And it's the largest financial experiment that's ever been done. Um, maybe we can stop calling it an experiment because it's, you know, so, so widely used and distributed now. But one of those, one of those questions since day one is like, you know, will people use something that is limited in supply? Um, you know, as, as we saw in, in Japan a few years back, um, the Japanese saw that their money could buy more, uh, 100,000 yen uh, now can buy a certain amount of things, but in a year it'll probably buy more. So maybe I'm going to refrain from buying. I mean, it unlocks a lot of other interesting questions, you know, like will, will consumerism change? Because right now we live in with deflationary currencies and, um, and that kind of encourages spending or investing. Whereas, uh, whereas something like 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 Bitcoin might just encourage hoarding. So we don't we don't. I have no idea. I have no idea what what it might do. Um, if if I have a Bitcoin, just takes over a little bit of the market of what is traditionally held with gold. Um, I mean, there's every indication that the that the price should go up. And in in one of our markets, particularly in South Africa, South Africa has a has a history of of gold and and used to be the largest producer of gold in the world and you know, it's very much, it's very much in the back of people's mind, and um, we do find that a lot of people here take to that comparison of saying Bitcoin is gold for the next generation. So who knows if five or ten years from now, people would rather than take that five percent of their investment portfolio that they put in 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 metals with a limited, uh, you know, availability, and if they put it in something that's just a lot easier to carry around and to store and to use something like Bitcoin. I don't have the answer to that yet, but it's fascinating to, to witness the evolution. It's been an interesting discussion. Now I get to sit there and think for a while about uh, what Bitcoin means to me. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so I'm not sure, you know, what listeners would be from your neck of the woods, but uh, tell people how can they find out more about Luno and uh, possibly become a customer? Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so basically they just have to go to luno.com or search for us um, in the in the Play Store or the or the uh, App Store. And um, the onboarding process is, is is pretty simple. We require an email address and a secure password, I hope. Um, and then the next steps would just be for them to provide some identity verification if they wish to use us to buy and sell Bitcoin. Uh, they can also have a look um, on the website. Like I mentioned, we're available in Southeast Asia, Africa, and now in 36 countries in Europe too. And um, yeah, they, it's, again, it's just www.luno, that's L-U-N-O dot com. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Werner. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for having me. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today 
for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.